I love those guys. I don't know if you've seen any of the, their work. That's Tim Collins and, or no, Tim Mackey and John Collins are the two, the creators of the Bible Project. They started out, it's a nonprofit, uh, all crowd-supported, crowd-funded, where they said, we're going to make a video for each book of the Bible describing the full kind of narrative of the, the, the whole of Scripture. And so then they did that, and they started doing themes within the Bible. And this video came out about six months ago, uh, and I... Um, watched it a while ago, and then as I was preparing for this message, it just came back, and like, where in five minutes can you get such a great understanding of blessing from Genesis, from the beginning to Revelation, to the end? Um, so thanks for bearing with me. I thought that gives a really great foundation for where we're going to go today and talking about the power of blessing. So that's the, that's the, the message for today. Uh, my name is Aiden. I'm an associate pastor on staff here, and I have the honor of speaking with you all today. Um, so thanks so much. We're so glad that you're here with us. If you're joining us online, um, really glad to have you with us as well. Um, so uh, today we also will be celebrating communion at the end of the message. So if you haven't gotten at any point during the service, or if you need to stretch your legs, uh, they're in the four tables around there. You can pick up the, there's a little cup together with a wafer. First service, I tried to get it out, and I swear it was super glued in there, so careful, because you got it, you got it, otherwise you'll spill it, right? So, um, so we'll have uh, communion elements that are available uh, as well. We'll be doing that later. Um, so we are in a series called In My Generation, and we've been going through um, just I think really the pinnacle point of this series was a couple weeks ago when Pastor Aaron was sharing about how we honor up the younger generations, honoring up to those who have come before us, and how the older generations invest down into those who come after them. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Jad, Chad talked about the legacy that you leave and how Moses was passing on um, the, the, pass, passing the baton. How do we pass the baton well to next generations? Moses passing on to Joshua going into um, the promised land. Last week, Continuing this theme of honoring up and uh, investing down, Pastor Seth was talking about um, mentorship and the, the leaders that you follow. You know, who is pouring into your life? Uh, women, there's that opportunity for reading about mentorship, how to, get, how to get connected with the mentor or how to mentor someone. This is a big part of, of who we are as believers in Christ, so that, that intergenerational, that we have something to, to give to others and each of us have something um, to receive and we receive the, from those who have come before us. Part of that also is blessing and really even like dialing in the, 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 the focus even more on blessing. And what it is whenever we are speaking blessings, how it is to receive blessings. And um, I think the one main idea with this is that words really have a lot of power to them. The words that we speak, even sometimes the words that we think in our minds, uh, it's not that it's power like a magical thing, like we speak these blessings and therefore, you know, we do this, the correct incantation and poof, the right, these things will happen. But we find that it's more of a relational, the power that words have to either build up relationships and community or that they can to tear down. Um, so I, I don't know, I, when I was a kid, I can, I can remember my um, grandmother telling me when I would come in crying because someone hurt my feelings, she'd say, well, you know, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will. Now, is that true? Now, it's nice maybe for a kid to be like, okay, I'm going to be okay. It's, I, I get the sentiment. It's a good thought. But like sometimes, let's be honest, that 
the deepest wounds that we've received have been from the words that others have spoken to us. You know, that, that words really do harm us. And I think in the same way, you know, if words don't have the power to, to harm, words will never harm you, do words actually, would they actually have the power to build you up? And I would say, it's not, it's a both and. Words clearly have the power to hurt. Words clearly have the power to build, to encourage, to strengthen. Um, so we're we'll talking about what is that in the context of, of blessing and how do we bless one another? Um, so... Uh, one, one example. Oh, I, I do have a picture. Um, so just, I know Pastor Seth shared a picture about generations, and I'll share a little bit about um, my heritage as well. You missed him in the first service. My dad was here. Um, so my name, you, you know, I'm saying Pastor Aiden, or Aiden's my name. Um, that's actually not my first name. My first name is Harold. I really don't try to keep it a secret. It's not like I'm against the name Harold, but my parents always called me Harold. But I am Harold Aiden Wirtz Fourth. So in that picture, we have my dad, who is Harold Aiden Wirtz III, and he also went by Aiden. So it's not like, well, are you Aiden because he was Harold? No, it, we were just, we, it was confusing because we're both Aidens. Um, yeah, phone rings, and when I was at home, it's like, oh, is Aiden there? I'm like, well, do you want big Aiden or little Aiden? So, and I was little Aiden until I was like 16, and then I'm like, do you want big Aiden or, wait, wait who are you calling for? <laughs> um, so, and then uh, we've got my, well, I'll go up the line first. So he's the third. I have my grandfather who was Harold Aidenworth Jr., but he didn't go by Harold either. He went by, you can take a guess. No, he actually went by Bear. Sorry, you wouldn't even guess that. <laughs> so his nickname was Bear since he was a little kid. So he was, everyone knew him as Bear. He owned Indian Caverns down the road on four, Route 45. Um, and then his father was Harold Aidenworth's senior, and um, he's the actual only one that professionally people knew him as Harold. But guess what? The family never called him Harold. <laughs> I won't even have you try and guess what we called him, because it makes no sense. Everyone in the family called him Hubby. What? <laughs> Is that kind of weird? Call my great, my great grandfather, hey Hubby. That's what we did. So his name was Hubby. So he was Harold Edenworth's senior, Bear, Jr., my dad was the third, and then my son, if you know my son's name, um, his name is Quint. Everyone's like, oh, that's Quint. That's not his real name either. We have a, we have a problem in our family, I think, with names. Uh, so Quint, like quintuplets, stands for five. So he is officially on a on document, birth certificate. He's Harold Aiden Wirtz the fifth. So that's just a little bit of some generational things in our family and how we have honored up our generations that have come before us and how we are uh, investing down even in this name that, I don't know, maybe he's sick of it. You know, like you get a choice. Everyone has had a choice. Like it was my choice. I did, we just chose my, my wife and I said, yeah, we, I said, okay, Emily, if we're going to do this, it has to be, I would love to, but you have to, I have to have your blessing, right, on it. I can't tell you. We're going to name him the fifth. So he will have that choice whenever he has, if he ever decides to have children, if he has a son. All these ifs. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's in God's hands. So um, words, though. Words have power. And um, if any of us, you know, all of us are in relationships of one sort or another, right? Whether uh, it's a relationship with a, a parent or a relationship with a child or a relationship with a roommate or a spouse or a coworker, we can't get away from being in community with other humans. All right, I don't think anyone lives off in the woods by themselves because you wouldn't be here now, right? You'd have to be off in the woods by yourself. Maybe someone online is like, well, I, never mind. Uh, so we are all in relationship, and we all have the possibility of, of, of hurting one another with what we say or building one another up. And I was thinking, like, when was the earliest memory I have of actually realizing that my words do damage? 
And um, I, I thought back to, I think I was maybe six or seven, and um, our family was very musical. I think my, my oldest sister is the most musically talented. She could just, she plays, she puts something in front of her and she could just play it on the piano. Um, she started out in elementary school playing trombone. So here's for all the female trombonists. I know we have a couple uh, in this church as well. And then she switched to flute because they needed some flutes. She's like, okay, I'll play flute. So she switched to that. And then after that, the band director must have needed an oboe for a special thing. He's like, well, you've been learning all these other instruments. Why don't you try the oboe? And she's like, okay, sure. So oboe is really hard. If you, I don't know if any oboe players in here. And I don't know. That's, they're, they're few and far between because it's a challenging instrument. It's a double reed. There are these two pieces of wood that are pressed together, and you have to have the right amount of pressure with your lips on it, and you have to have the right amount of like back pressure in your mouth for it to create a sound. And then when it makes a sound, it's kind of this Middle Eastern like reedy sound, and then it kind of squawks sometimes. And so she brought this home, and she basically was a beginner on it. And I, I, I think of her as like the great flute player, the great piano player, and then she has this difficult instrument in her hands. She's sitting at the piano bench trying to like even play a scale. And then she's doing this for, for, you know, she's practicing. She's supposed to do this for a while. And then me as a little kid just walk by and I'm, and I, and I'm like, well, are you ever going to sound good on that one? You know, and I think she must have been so frustrated at that moment. She like bursts into tears, goes up to her room, um, she wasn't the door slamming one. That was the middle child. <laughs> so she didn't slam the door like my other sister would have. But like just realizing in that moment of like, what did I? I, I didn't really mean, but I was just like so used to her being a natural. Like, well, what, are you ever going to like sound good on that one? This is weird. And, 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 but I didn't even intend to hurt her feelings. I don't think, maybe. Um, but how often do we actually even intend to hurt someone's feelings in what we're saying? In, in, in how we speak to one another, that our, our words have power. And, and it's also not just that emotional power, but I truly believe that there is a, a spiritual power too in, in when we're joining with God to pronounce his blessings on the good side of things, that we're joining with him to pronounce blessings. So I have a couple definitions of blessing. Um, then I'll uh, share with us. I'll go ahead and, 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 and here's the first one. This comes from Dallas Willard. But it speaks about this, about how we're invoking, it involves God. Um, and this comes from Dallas Willard's book, Living in Christ's Presence. And he says this. So we kind of get an idea of what is blessing that we're talking about. He says, well, blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. He says it isn't just words, but it's the actual putting forth of your will for the good of another person. It always involves God. Because when you will the good of another person, you realize that only God is capable of bringing that. So it's our will joining with God's will to bring about good in the other. So this is kind of like just a framework for blessing. What are we talking about today? Uh, so the scripture for today uh, that we'll be reading through is Deuteronomy 30. If you have your Bible, uh, you can open that up or an app on your phone. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 through 20. Um, before I jump in and read this, I do want to pray. And, uh, and then we'll get rolling. So um, while you're finding that or searching for it, let me pray uh, over this time. Uh, Jesus, we come before you just recognizing the blessings that we have in you, all spiritual blessings that you've poured out on those who call on your name, who believe in you. Jesus, we know you, you are present here by your spirit. It's a blessing in itself of your goodness. 
God, we ask you to, um, to bless this time with your goodness, with what it is that you have for us. Jesus, we, we come before you and we just, with gratitude for your availability, your, your presence here. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Deuteronomy 30 uh, is at the end, some context of what we're reading into. So Moses is with the, the Israelites, the, 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 the nation of Israel. They've been wandering through the wilderness. God's been leading them towards this promised land that he's about to give them, the, the nation of Israel, the country, the, that land of Israel. And they haven't gone in yet. They're just about there. But God said to Moses, look, you're not going to go in. This is where he had to pass the baton to Joshua, and Joshua led them in. So this is kind of on that, right before he hands things over, right before Moses dies, he speaks to Israel, and he, he, he puts before them these words. So this is, this is where, where this falls in the context of the story of, of Israel. And so this is what he says. Um, Moses says to them in verse 11, he says, For this commandment that I command you today it's not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and, and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. So I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Would God bless the reading and hearing of his word. So a little roadmap of where we're going today. Um, we are going to go to kind of similar to that, to that, that video. We're going to look back the first part is looking back to the, the nature of blessing of what we find in Genesis to understand what is the real nature of what we're doing when we're blessing? What is, what is, what is that biblical understanding of it? And then we're going to kind of look forward from this passage to Jesus to, to, to talk about the, the availability of blessing that we have through Jesus and through Christ. And then finally at the end, we'll, the, the last part will be just about equipping and, and how do we give and how do we receive blessings. So that's what we're talking about today. So the first part is the nature of blessing, kind of jumping back to Genesis. So, so uh, like they said in the video, like what is blessing? Because we, we often use this word in our culture uh, an awful lot of, you, you know, whenever you say, oh, well, 
um, even people on social media, like hashtag blessed when something good happens, or um, someone sneezes and you say, well, bless you. It's just a reflex thing that just comes out of my mouth. Am I actually like saying, God bless you? What, what's actually happening here? Um, to, you know, I've, again, growing up, my, my, my grandmother would be like, well, actually it was the neighbors down the block in West Virginia, and she would always say to me in this sweet West Virginia accent, like, well, God bless your little heart. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't really think about it. It's just what she said. Like, what, what does that mean? And there, you know, that people would say that. Does that have meaning? Well, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about a giving a biblical blessing? All right, so here I um, put before you here is a second definition uh, of blessing. This comes from uh, the book, The Blessing and the Curse by a guy, uh, Jeff Anderson. And so he says this. Um, you can read it on the screen as well. It says, to bless is to convey some kind of benefit. The focus is less on the benefit itself and more on the life or relationship enhanced by the blessing. And conversely, uh, curses are expressions or wishes of misfortune, calamity, and evil. And the, the focus of the curse is more on the relationship, again, um, that is in this case severed and less on the actual curse itself. With God as the subject, so this is when he says, when God is the subject of the sentence, so when you say, like, God bless you, God is the subject of that sentence. With God as the subject, a blessing is God's enhancement of a life of fullness. So look at that very last phrase there. God's enhancement of a life of fullness. So if you imagine, like, the full life, a good life, a full life, and then God actually increasing that, enhancing that, what would, what would that be? This would be an abundance, right? And this is exactly what we see when God's talking in Genesis. For the very first time that he blesses something, when he blesses the, the animals, he says to them in Genesis 22, he says to the animals, he says that they would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So he, he creates the garden and he puts the, the animals in it and the plants, and he creates the sea and he creates the skies and he fills it with animals. And he says, well, I want you actually, now that it, this is full, I want you to now be fruitful and multiply and then even go out and fill more, an enhancement of fulfillment. And then when he creates people, he gives them that same kind of three words of blessing, that, that people, that humans would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So this idea of this abundance of things growing and expanding and, and being more and more. And then he adds a fourth one to it, that he says that, that he, they would subdue the earth that they would have dominion over it. And this subduing and having dominion has to do with authority, right? When you have dominion over something, as a piece of dominion or domain is like, this is your property and you have dominion. You have the right over that. So God is handing his authority to people saying, okay, work with me here to cultivate the land. I'm giving you authority over it. I'm showing you the way to do this. This is the good way to do this. So now you can go and do it and have authority to show and to know what is good. But then we see that this is conditional, that the blessing is conditional. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't stay that same way forever. And like, wait, like, does God take his blessing away? Like, what happens? Well, what, what happens in the story? It's, and it's not, it's, and yes, it's conditional on their actions. That do they follow God's will? Do they obey him completely in the garden? Because God plants the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, okay, you can eat from this and all the other trees, but this one tree, don't do it. Right, so there's a, um, there's a matter of obedience, but I think that obedience really points to their heart. 
and the, the relationship that they have. When he's talking about like this, this blessing is uh, about the relationship being enhanced. God wanted to enhance the relationship with Adam and Eve through this abundance and blessing he was giving them. If Adam and Eve would just be so good to trust him to receive it. And I think even the, the names of the trees, the tree of life, like God would trust them to receive life instead of them choosing to eat of the knowledge the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, what's that about? Knowledge of good and evil. Um, this idea that, okay, do you trust God with what is good and what is right? Or is Adam and Eve, are they going to take the fruit and trust in themselves to decide what is good and what is right and what is wrong? And what do they do? They, they, they hear the serpent. The serpent says, did God really say this? But look, it's good to eat. It's good for you to be the one who's in charge. It's basically what they're saying. When you, you decide what is good and evil, and they fall into that, and they take and they eat. And so what they're doing, they're, they're no longer trusting in God for God to declare what is good and right, but they have that, and they're setting themselves up as idols of like, I know now what's best for me. So, yes, it's based on the actions of obedience, but it's also based on a, on a heart issue of, do we trust God for what is good, that he has, what, has our best interests in mind? So, um, Adam and Eve did this. I know that I am guilty of this, of me deciding for myself what I think is right. You know, this is kind of what, this is another way you could define what sin is me trusting in myself and my own decisions on what I think I should do instead of trusting in what God says is best for me. It's like, have I ever done that? Mm, yeah. Often. Um, one story that I haven't shared very much, but now I guess it's, I shared it at first service, so it's public, um, of mistakes I have made. Um, so... Uh, a few houses ago, not where we're living currently, not where we just moved, but previously, uh, we had a garden and um, had a fence around the garden and loved seeing, you know, taking time to like dig the garden and see the, the plants grow up and, you know, using compost from the previous year to fill it in and all this work I put into like having this garden in our backyard, put a fence around it because, you know, there's critters out there, but then underneath our shed, there was a groundhog. Those buggers are persistent, right? So, like, I thought, okay, I, I, that's why I put the fence up. And but then I didn't realize, okay, about, like, two feet up, the holes get bigger in the fence, and when that groundhog was small enough, he would, he would climb up the fence, stick his head through there, and somehow squeeze his fat little body through that square opening, plop down on the other side, and then keep eating my veggies. And I'm like, oh, okay, replace it with another fence. And then put another fence, and then he starts digging underneath it. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to dig down and put the fence like three inches in the ground and so take that. Well, they're called a groundhog because they dig in the ground. Like, who am I kidding? Who's going to dig deeper, me or the groundhog? Obviously, groundhog wins, right? So I was talking with our neighbor who lived across the street from us and he said, well, you know what I do? He was an older guy, grew up in the country. He's like, when I have a groundhog eating my garden, I just take my 22 and I shoot it. <laughs> so I'm like, I got a, my grandfather's old 22. This couldn't be a bad idea. You know, so Emily was away for the weekends. I uh, <laughs> go up in like the second floor window, overlooks the garden, I'm shooting down. Doesn't matter that there's like other neighbors' houses, like, you know, I don't know, 100, it was, I don't know how far away it was. Too close to be safe, probably. 
Um, but I sit there and I have the, like the 22 laying across my lap and I'm just sitting there looking at the window. I, I take the screen out of the window so I'm, you know, I'm not shooting through the screen, all right? That'd be dumb. And uh, so then I suddenly, like I'm just waiting there all day, you know, going to eat lunch, sitting there with the 22. You, you know, you can imagine this. And then, and then suddenly I see him like, it's getting closer to like evening. He's coming out to get his evening meal or whatever. And it's like, oh, there he is. My heart starts pumping fast, right? And I take the 22 and I'm leaning out the window and I have like one more check in my, in my heart of like, should you really discharge a firearm in this township where you live? It's not like you live in the country. But then I'm thinking like, all oh, those vegetables that he's eaten. <laughs> those were my zucchini. You know, like if I had this mindset of God's abundance, you know how zucchini, they like produce and produce. And I had more zucchini than what I needed, right? I could have just like, here, buddy, eat my zucchini. But no, that was my zucchini, right? So I lean the gun out the window and I get him in my sights and then I, you know, and then I hold steady and then, you know, and you hear the, the crack, like crack. I was like, oh, that was louder than I thought. And then, and then he like jumps up and he runs like towards the shed. And, and then I hear out the window, apparently our neighbors, again, the houses were closer than like the wall to the wall. They're like, they're on their, out, their back porch. They're like, is that a gunshot? <laughs> like, <gasps> Oh, no. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, it was louder than I thought. And so, you know, what did Adam and Eve do in the garden when, when Jesus came? They hid. <laughs> so what do I do? I go like, I put the gun away. I lock it up, kind of like hide it. And then I'm like, they're like, I, I listen through the windows like, I wonder if we should call the police. I think that was a gunshot. I wonder if everything's okay. And, and then and I'm like, oh, gosh. So I just end up like, like I'm like, the police are going to get caught. I'm going to go to jail. I'm like, all I can do is just like lay on the floor. My heart's just like thumping and thumping. And then they must not have called the police. No one ever came. It was all okay. Probably one of the stupidest moments in my life. I, I admit I should not have done it. It could have ricocheted. God was looking over me. Please don't do that. It was, it was not smart. Um, yeah, but you know, what did I do? I wanted to take control of the situation. I knew what was good. So what if the township says, yeah, you, you should not fire, like, shoot a gun here. This is a bad idea. I said, no, I want to kill this groundhog right now. Uh, so I have the knowledge of what's good in this situation. I'm not paying attention to any other authorities in my life, much less God, and what he would think about this situation. This is what we do. We take control of things. And the groundhog, right? Did I kill him? Did I not kill him? What does it matter, right? <laughs> no, I go out there a couple days later, or a day later, I guess, I go, I go down, and I actually, I see him dead, like right outside his hole. Apparently, I'd caught him. I, it's some, I, I hit him, and then he, he died. And then I see him, and my heart's like, oh, I killed an animal. <laughs> I, I am a very, you know, conflicted person. I see things from all sides. I'm like, I hate you. Oh, but I killed you, and I love And so I, I gave him a little burial. I dug a hole and buried the groundhog. <laughs> I don't think I said a prayer. <laughs> Uh, but but I, I felt bad. <laughs> but he stopped eating my veggies, so, <laughs> you know. So, but we do what we want. That's the point of that. And why is this, why is it so hard? It's because I, I think in that situation, you know, I was unwilling to sit in a place of discomfort, of like aggression towards this groundhog. I was unwilling to, to wait it out and see like, okay, God, maybe you have a better idea for this. Maybe you have a better plan. Maybe I should just be generous to this poor creature instead of murdering him. Um, I don't know. So, so 
but, but the same thing in, in more serious situations in our lives, whenever you know, we're upset at someone or um, whatever situation you find yourself in that you're tending towards wanting to you know, go out beyond the boundaries of what God says is good and right. And then I think Satan is there. The serpent is still whispering in our ears like, does God really love you? Would he really ordain this creature to come and steal your vegetables from you? Like, you know, again, it's a silly example, but I think he still whispers and we still give in to the temptation to take and say like, no, I know what's right in this situation. I know what I want to do. So, but the nature of, of, of blessing is kind of the reverse of that. Not me taking things into my own hands, but me trusting in the relationship of my heavenly father and saying, no, that he has an abundance in Christ, an abundance of spiritual blessings for me. Maybe the, the physical situation is not what I want it to be. And maybe, maybe it, for, for this time, he is calling me to sit in this discomfort so that I can learn to trust him more. Because I'm, my hope is not in this life, but it's in the life to come and what he has. And so to have that, his bigger perspective instead of my narrow, immediate perspective of my physical discomforts, of my own desires and longings that may or may not come about. And this is consistent with what, what um, the blessing that God has, this abundance that he has for us, this, this authority that he wants us to share, but he doesn't want us to share authority. He says, okay, you have dominion over this, but you don't have dominion to just do whatever you want. You have dominion to, to steward things in the way that I would teach you to, to walk in my ways. This is exactly what they're saying in Deuteronomy, what Moses is saying to the, them in Deuteronomy 30. Look, to love the Lord your God, have this right relationship with him, to walk in his ways, to, 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 to govern the people of Israel rightly and justly as, as God would if he were here in this situation. And there are other connections from, from Deuteronomy 30 that, that link back to Genesis. I think one of the strongest ones is where, where in verse 19, where Moses says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. Heaven and earth. It uses the same exact Hebrew words um, that, that are in Genesis 1, when God is creating the world. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I, I took one class in Hebrew, uh, and, and we, they made us memorize uh, Genesis 1 in Hebrew. So it was Bereshit bara Elohim. Elohim is God's name. Bereshit bara. In the beginning, God created Elohim. Remember it? Hashamayim v'ha'eretz. And Hashamayim is the heavens. V'ha'eretz is and the earth. And those are the exact same words in this passage. Hashamayim v'ha'eretz. And so as the Israelite people are hearing these sounds, these are these, the links in their mind to other places in their scriptures in the Old Testament where, where God spoke this. So it's connecting it. It's a link back to Genesis 1. And God's saying, no, I have created the heavens and the earth, this abundance for you. I'm calling it as a witness against you. There's abundance here for you. I'm calling a witness against you that you're giving you authority here. And this is the same thing he says. If you go back one verse from verse 19 to verse 18, it says, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish, but you shall not live along in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. He says it in a couple places. Uh, also in, in verse, um, no, it's verse 16 as well, where he says that you're going to go and possess 
this land. And what does it mean when he's giving them that this, he's like, this is this gift of a land that is, you now have ownership of it. This is now your domain, that same sort of dominion that he gave them to the Garden of Eden. He's giving to the Israelites again. So like when they're on the mountain, on the verge of stepping into this promised land, it's, it's as if it's like back in the scene in the garden where God is saying, look, I have set before you this tree of life and this tree that brings with it death when you eat of the fruit. Moses is saying the same things. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. So it's, it's like a continuation of this biblical narrative of how, how God works and how there's a choice before you. And Moses is like, look, this is my heart that you would choose life. Would you do better than Adam? Would you do better than even some of the, the, the patriarchs that came before who failed to walk in God's ways? And I think it's primarily, yes, it's about obedience, about there's all these laws that, yes, it's about obeying, but it's not just obeying. It's about an attitude of heart that leads you to obey. I have a quote, I think, for this, but if I have it written down. But basically, where Dallas, uh, again, I'm re referencing Dallas Willard, where, where um, just that, that attitude of heart I, don't, I can't find it in my notes right now, but just there's an attitude of your heart that you would live life in the way that it would overflow into just that you naturally would be a person who walks in the ways and follows all of the, adheres to the law. It's not like, well, I'm adhering to the law because this is what I've got to do, but like this is my heart is for God's goodness. And so my life just naturally flows into God's will, God's goodness. And this is what it says in this, that we would walk in his ways. So, but if you know the story of the Israelites, they don't follow. They, they, they fall short of God so many times that they fall away. Um, they, they, they say, look, here's life and here's death if you just would love me and follow my ways. And they over and over choose death, which leads us to the need to look forward to Christ and his perfection. So that was part one. What's the nature of blessing? What's well, this availability of abundance availability of, of authority that God wants to bestow on his people. So part two um, is, is now more just about not just this abundance and uh, authority, but it's like, okay, so who is this really available to? Was it just the Israelites or, or, or what happens next? Um, so looking forward to, to Jesus and his gospel, when we look in, um, when Jesus talks about, you know, believe the gospel, he says in, in Mark, in the beginning of it, it's like, repent and believe the gospel. And what does he say next? That the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is, a, a, I love, um, I'm referenced Dallas Willard several times today, that his idea of like what this means, when this idea of repenting, he, he translates it this way, he says, wake up. This idea of repenting is like, wake up, there's something better for you. You've been asleep to the goodness, but we want to wake up to the reality that no, through Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is available here and now. And so a quote from him, this comes from um, his book, The Divine Conspiracy, um, where he's talking about the Beatitudes. And when Jesus is teaching about the kingdom way, the way of living in the kingdom, and he talks about the Beatitudes that, that we really need to change, uh, so often they've been interpreted of, well, here's a list of things that you have to do. Because I feel like that's the easy way. This is the way of the, the Pharisees of like, here's the list of all the things you have to do. And so often we, we interpret the Beatitudes, and, and I think there's, there's some right to that of, well, sometimes, you know, say, um, blessed are the meek. Maybe there's some times in my life, maybe I should be a little more meek. Right. But 
Dallas Willard turns this around and he says, maybe there's a different way to understand it if you look into the full context of Jesus' gospel of kingdom availability. Maybe there's something different that he's saying in addition to this. Like, because he says, like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Like, should I really, should I seek to be poor in spirit? And do we change poor in spirit to mean something that's actually good? When, with maybe Jesus meaning, no, actually the poor in spirit who are in front, front of him are the people who, the spiritual nothings, who, who have no real connection to God. And, but he's saying they're blessed. So how do we make right of this? And, then, and he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. So does that mean I'm, is it, like, do they have a special blessing, or should I seek? We wouldn't want to seek persecution. So how do we encompass this in some way that it makes sense? And this is what um, Dallas Willard says. Here's a quote. He says, they, the Beatitudes, they serve to clarify Jesus's fundamental message, which is the free availability of God's rule and righteousness to all of humanity through reliance upon Jesus himself the person now loose in the world among us. They do this simply by taking those who, from the human point of view, are regarded as most hopeless, most beyond all possibility of God's blessing or even interest, and exhibiting them as enjoying God's touch and abundant provision from the heavens. So, so what does that mean? Well, it means that it's, it's not a to-do list, even though maybe we should do some of those and be a little more humble or be a peacemaker, but it's, Dallas is saying that it's switching it around and saying, no, that the least of these, because the kingdom of God is available to you, now those who are poor, well, you are blessed, because it doesn't have to be like, in their, in their day, the ancient, um, the, the, the Jewish system would have been like, what is it to be blessed? Well, it's someone who has lots of money. Obviously, God is blessing you. Or it's someone who has a high position. They, you must be blessed. God must be blessing you. And then they say, well, what about this poor person? Well, yeah, you're not blessed because you have nothing. Or, you know, the, the, the man that came to Jesus and uh, who was, I think he was blind, and they said, well, obviously your parents sinned or did something wrong because this is the result of their sin. You're not blessed because, and you're blind because of this. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. This man was blind because that the God might be glorified, that he might reveal his glory. And so Jesus is saying, no, it's, let's turn this around and say, blessed are you the poor in spirit because it's not that they're poor in spirit, but those who are poor in spirit can now be blessed because the kingdom is available to you. And so this availability of blessing is for anyone, it's for everyone who would come to Jesus and recognize him as Lord. Not a condition that you need to seek, but a condition that says even the least of these, blessing is available to them. <clears throat> and, I, and I feel that this is very also evident in Deuteronomy 30, if we come back to the scripture for today. At the beginning of it, in verse 11, he says, for this commandment that I command you today, it's not too hard for you, neither is it far off. That the, the commandments of God, he says, okay, the Israels, you are given the commandments. You have them. They are here. God is with you. It's not far off. It's available to you. It's like not that you have to go far away and get it. So for the Israelites, it was right there with them. Jesus would say the same thing, you know. I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then and verse 14 <clears throat> says this, but the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. And these are the exact words that Paul uses in Romans when he's talking about salvation. 
He says in Romans 10, 8, he says the exact same words. He quotes Deuteronomy 30. He said, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The availability of blessing. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's just this available. We don't even, it's not a, it's not, the verse goes on. I might as well say the scripture. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God so that no one may boast. Not, it's not based on works so that no one may boast. The gift of God is available to all of the greatest blessing. So, not only is it available, but it's also relational. And we see this, I think I already said this in, in Deuteronomy 30, where when it says, um, so it, verse 16, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, so we, it's all about the obeying of the commandments, and then what's the very next thing? He says, how do you obey the commandments? It's a relationship by loving the Lord your God. It's a way of life by walking in his ways. So yes, are there, are there things that he says, you, you know, do not do this and yes, do this? Yes, but how do we have a, a right heart to live that out? Well, it's through Jesus and through his spirit that he empowers us and changes and works on our heart that we would be people who have a heart to love the Lord and walk in his ways. So, that was part two. It's the availability of blessing is available to all who would receive. Last part is about giving and receiving blessing. So we're going to wrap things up here and then have a little bit of time to, to give and to receive blessing, also to, to receive the blessing of communion today as well. Um, so in the Old Testament, it was very clear, like, that who would give blessings? You, you read about the, that the one generation, the father, would give a blessing to the son. And that's very appropriate today, too. I've also heard of in Jewish families that still do that today on the Sabbath, every Sabbath, that they would lay a hand on their child, on their head or on their shoulder, and pray a blessing over them. And it's appropriate for us to do the same thing from one generation to another. Um, you looking someone in the eye, like, how do you give a blessing? Well, this is meant to be a heart thing of, of communicating your heart, your will, not just words that you would just say and speak. And on the receiving side, you know, I think so often there's, there's things that are going through our head or what I'm going to do next, but can we actually, like when someone's praying for you, do you take the time to actually stop the thoughts in your head, to stop saying, well, oh, maybe I should respond or say something different or, you know, maybe I should pray for them or maybe, uh, you know, whatever's going on in your mind to just be able to take a deep breath and to stop and to listen and just receive. And that's where, you know, whenever we were blessing earlier to extend a hand, uh, towards them, and if you're in a position of receiving, to have you have your hands out, which we'll do that sometimes when we do a benediction, to have, extend your hands to receive, and that, how that posture of our body can connect to the, just the, represents the willingness of our hearts to receive blessing. And just to listen, to hear if God would highlight a word or say something to you uh, that through that person, that would be meaningful, and that just kind of catches your heart by the Spirit. And so what do we say when we're blessing? Well, you can use scriptures to speak blessings. There's scriptures, great scriptures in the beginning of Ephesians, um, like God blessing with all the, the blessings. There's, all through scripture, there's blessings. The one we're going to focus on today is from, uh, it's called the Aaronic uh, Blessing from Numbers 6. And I'm um, just going to go through that kind of a little bit line by line. Just to, that We're going to actually have the, the worship team sing this over you later and have a, a little bit of response time to receive blessing as well. But just because they're going to be singing,
singing again. I'm just to talk about like, what is it that we're actually saying and singing over you in this song? And so these are the words of the blessing, which would probably sound familiar to you if you've um, we've used this here in church before. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. And so this idea of even just thinking of that, of like, what does it mean to the, the Lord that we're invoking God, that his, he would bless you, that all these good gifts, that all the abundance of God that would be given to you, and that he would keep you, this idea of, of God holding you, protecting you, you know, all of the, the, the scriptures and the psalms that come to mind about you know, God as, as the rock, as a shield, as a strong tower, as a refuge. All of these, these go in line with this idea of God keeping you safe, of him holding you in his hands and trusting in him for his care, that idea of trust and relationship. And the next part of it says that he would make his face to shine upon you. And have you thought about that? Of like, what, is it, what would it be for, to, to think about the face of God glowing, like the glory of God shining, but it's shining upon you? And uh, again, in, uh, this is Dallas Willard's explanation, that, that like thinking of like a grandparent or a grandmother or a grandfather looking at their grandchild and just the way that their face shines, you know, when they're seeing them in delight of like, oh, this child. And to think that, well, that this is how God would look on you. That there's this, this attitude of his heart that is for you and that loves you and that it comes out through his, like through the, the twinkle of his eyes of him looking at you. Let his face shine upon you. And then it talks about his face again a second time, that he would turn his face towards you. So if that first, that shining part, maybe has something more to do with his heart, you know, his, his heart just loving and adoring you, him turning his face towards you would be like, no. And then not only is, is his like thoughts and his will is for good for you, but then his eyes are actually on you to know that, no, he actually, he sees you. All of, the, all of like the good situations in your life, all of the hard situations, whatever is going on, for him to turn his face and his attention on you and to give you peace. And that idea of peace, as shalom, as, as uh, the Hebrew understanding, like I think of peace, you know, this, even this morning my wife said, well, there was about a half hour uh, fit from our youngest because she couldn't wear her Elsa dress to church, right? That was not peaceful. But then, okay, she stops crying. Is that peace now? Like, we're at the standstill where, okay, no one's crying. I think we have peace. But the biblical idea of shalom is not just the, the ceasing of conflict. It's this idea of flourishing, of goodness, of well-being, of abundance, that God would give you that sort of flourishing in your life. That it's not, not that, that, that I would have more than enough, that I'd be so filled with, with his goodness and blessing that my heart would result in generosity. This is what we're praying in this, in this blessing. But first, um, we're going to spend a moment here reflecting in communion to think specifically on the blessing of what Jesus has done. Um, so I'm going to invite the team uh, to come on back up during this time as we prepare for communion. That the, 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 the biggest blessing is what Christ has done.
through his death on the cross and resurrection. That we remember this, and this is why we take communion, to remember the sacrifice that he made. That, you know, in, the, in Genesis, it talks about that, that he will come and crush the serpent's head, and this is exactly what he did in raising to new life. That he has blessed us with all the spiritual blessings because he was willing to suffer and die on our behalf. And if we are in Christ, if we've confessed with our lips that Jesus is Lord, if we have, are there to say, believe in our heart that Christ raised him, I believe that, Christ ra- that, that God raised him from the dead, this is, this is all it takes is that faith in Jesus. So if you've never made that step, this is the perfect time. You know, as Pastor Aaron says, that, that communion is not meant to be exclusive to say, well, okay, you don't believe, you know, well, you shouldn't receive this for, uh, you know, a sacrifice you haven't acknowledged, but it's, it's not exclusive in that, that you shouldn't, but it's an invitation to say no, to take that step of faith and saying, no, actually, I believe, and to confess that with your mouth and to receive that today in communion. It's an invitation to join this family of God, to be called a child of the Most High God, to receive that inheritance, the down payment of his spirit that he wants to give to us. So let me read these words from 1 Corinthians. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, that he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said that this is my body which is broken for you. So it says, do this in remembrance of me. So if you take the bread and receive his sacrifice of his body. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we take, remember his sacrifice that sealed the new covenant, the new promise of new life that he would give to all who call on him. So in this time of response, I have two other, two ways to, for you to respond, um, if you would like. That God has poured out on us blessings um, that we may want to pass on to others. And so one way that you can do that is if there's, if there's someone in the room that you would like to bless, you could go to them and to bless that person and pray for them. Uh, or you, if, you have, if you have a device like this in your pocket, whether they're in the room or they're not in the room, you could open up and say, hey, I'm blessed you today in Jesus' name. You could just go ahead, take your phone out, send a message, bless someone. Encourage them so that God's for you. He's with you, no matter what situation they're in. 
So I God, I pray that maybe the Spirit, by the Spirit, you put on our hearts and minds someone to send a message to in this moment. And then during the song that we would sit there and just pray over them and send them a message, like, even me just saying like, hey, I'm praying for you today. That'd be a blessing. Or if you wanna say a specific, like, Lord bless you and keep you, you wanna write this out, send in a message, awesome. Whatever you wanna, however you wanna bless them. But maybe you might be in a place where you're like, ah, I just feel like I don't have anything to give. I feel like, how can I pour out when I'm looking for someone to pour into me? Um, so we're going to have two couples on, on either side. Um, actually, if, um, if they want to come forward, uh, the, the carts and Phil and Elaine, that they'll be up here um, to pray specifically for you a blessing. If you're like, I would like someone to bless me today and there's no one else to hear. Well, no, there, is, there are people here to bless you. So come forward and receive that blessing. Okay, let me pray and we'll sing this song of blessing. You can sing along with it if you want to or you can come and respond or bless someone else. So Jesus, may we just recognize the blessing that, that, that what you have given to us, what our hearts respond in gratitude. Again, Jesus, would you bring to mind if there's someone that you are desire for them to know your goodness? Even if they follow you already or if they're far from you, it doesn't matter if they're a believer or not a believer, but if there's someone that you'd say, hey, this person, you know, I, I want you to reach out to them. God, will your spirit speak that? And God, will we be faithful and we be courageous to take that? It feels like sometimes like a step of faith, a leap of like, oh, should I send them? Yes, yeah, send a message. And God, I pray for people to also to be courageous if they're feeling like, you know, or maybe, maybe they're in a good space and I just want to receive more of God's blessing, that they would come forward. They just, you don't know what state people might be in, but that, that they would receive from you and would be courageous in that and just to take a step. And God, to know that your abundance is for us, that you have blessed us, and God, that you are, it's available to all you've broken the curse. You've freed us. And God, that we would walk in your ways, loving you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.